Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 and verse 28. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last first. And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priest and unto the scribes. And they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. And they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. Mm -hmm. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we sh shall desire. <laughs> okay. We want you to do whatever we ask you for. Bold, yeah. give them credit. Verse 36. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? And they said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand, and the other on thy left hand, in thy glory. Again, not asking for much. <laughs> right? Bold. Okay. Hey, you know what? If you never ask for the order... Let's see what Jesus says. He says, But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized with all shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to him and said unto them, And by the way, let these verses guide us in the way our church operates, in the way our church functions, in the way our church ministers, okay? In our Christian lives as well, these three verses are key. Yes. Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. We shouldn't want to be large and in charge. We should seek to serve. In Mark chapter 10, we've learned a few things. We've learned that the Christian life and following the Lord means doing what God wants us to do, what his intention for us is to do, and not necessarily what we can justify through the letter of the law. 
I put that on Facebook recently, and there were some folks that got a little bent out of shape about that because they thought that I was saying that there was no law or they thought that I was downplaying the law. No, the law is given to show us God's view of righteousness and what God wants us to do. And so we follow what God wants us to do. We cannot live up to God's standard of righteousness, and so we repent, we ask his forgiveness, and we fall on his grace. But if you're looking to the Bible to find a justification for something you're doing, chances are you should not be doing that thing for which you're trying to find a justification for. And so we learned through the teachings on divorce, but we learned, that was the object lesson, but we learned through that, that we're to do what God wants, what God intends, and that he does allow a way out when we can't do that because of certain practical situations. We learn that. We've also learned the humility that we should have when we approach the Lord. Jesus said, and he that does not receive the kingdom as one of these little children cannot enter into the kingdom. So we don't come before the Lord saying, I'm a great person, you should receive me, or, or I'm devout, I've been righteous, I've done these great things for you, Lord. In fact, the Bible tells us, Jesus told us that the day is coming when many will say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have we not done these many mighty works? And he will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. It doesn't matter how many sermons I preach. It doesn't matter how many people are added to this church, how many souls are saved, how many souls are baptized. I could start a Christian school, a seminary, an orphanage. We could go and do missions in Central and South America. But if I'm not one of the Lord's children, if I'm not his, if I've never turned from my sins and trusted him as Savior, none of that matters. He'll work through that to change a lot of lives and to reach a lot of people. But that don't do me no good. I can't say, God, they named a seminary after me in Texas. That's not going to carry weight with him. Yeah. God's going to say, you want, you want to talk about things that are named after you? Let's, let's put this to a vote. We've learned the humility we should have when approaching the Lord. Yeah. And today we learn about discipleship and the cost of following the Lord. Salvation is free. Salvation is freely given, but discipleship will cost you everything. It's a little bit easier to deal with when you realize that everything actually belonged to God in the first place. But discipleship will cost you everything. See, following the Lord, we learn that, yes, there is sacrifice in following Jesus. But we also learn that there is reward to the sacrifice. But... If we look at all this in context of the gospel, we know that Christ gave the ultimate sacrifice for us. Peter says, Lord, we left behind houses. We left behind everything. Jesus said, what did I leave behind? What am I about to do? What am I about to give up? Mm-hmm. Seeing this through to its full conclusion, we see, first of all, what it means to be a disciple. We're going to talk about that this morning. Secondly, we're going to learn why we're able to be disciples. And third, we're going to learn how to approach discipleship. So let's talk about what it means to be a disciple. Mm-hmm. Jesus has just said that how hardly shall those who trust in riches enter into the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. 
if you trust in riches, you're going to have a hard time getting to heaven because you're still going to be looking to your own resources, your own abilities, and yourself for your salvation. And that's the kind of mentality that rejects faith in the Lord that falls short of heaven. Charles Spurgeon, since Brother Jim and I are in a contest to see who can quote him the most, Charles Spurgeon said that any faith that falls short of the gospel will leave you short of heaven. And so if you are looking at what you can do, if your faith is in what you have in your hand, your faith is in what you have at your disposal, your abilities, you're going to fall short of heaven. And that's what Jesus said. He said, how hardly shall they who trust in riches. If you trust in riches, you're not getting into heaven. And the disciples say, oh, who can be saved then? And Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. Yes. Peter, Peter. I think if I were one of the disciples, I'd have been Peter. Because Peter had a temper. I got a temper. Peter said things rashly. Things would pop in his head. He'd be overcome with emotion. And he would just out with it what he thought. And I do that sometimes. And so Peter says in verse 28, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. In fact, the Bible says, Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. Peter doesn't even have his full statement out yet. And Jesus pops in. But Peter says, we have left all and followed thee. Peter has left behind his business. He's left behind his social standing back home. He has left behind his family. He has left behind everything that he worked his entire life to build up. He left that behind to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, if you trust in riches, you're not going to enter into the kingdom. And Peter says, I left everything behind. What more do you want? And, and Jesus jumps in there. But what we learn from this is that salvation is free. It costs nothing, but discipleship will cost you everything. But what we're going to learn is that everything that you give up for the Lord, everything that you leave behind, everything that you place on that sacrificial altar, everything that you give back to God is worth it. Yes. When you commit to following Jesus, you acknowledge that everything you have belongs to him anyway. In the case of the disciples, his call was to leave everything behind and physically follow him. You read the parable of the talents. And this one servant was given five talents, the unit of money. This other servant was given two talents. This other servant was given one talent, right? Mm -hmm. What were those servants supposed to do with those talents? They were supposed to take them down to the market and give them to the exchangers. Mm -hmm. um, that's Bible way of saying they were to invest it. Mm -hmm. They were to buy mutual funds. They were to put it in CDs. They were to do something with it, right? Mm -hmm. They were to invest it. And the servant that, uh, these guys did pretty good at this. I mean, if, if God brought one of them back, I'd hire them as my investment advisor. Because when the master came back, the one that had five had made five more. He doubled his money. Mm -hmm. The one that had two made two more. He doubled his money, right? And then you had the wicked servant. He buried his in the backyard. All right? He, he, he told the master, I know that you're a hard man and you reap where you sow not. And I didn't want to lose your money, so here it is. 
And the master said you should have at least taken it to the bank and put it in a CD. I mean, the rate of return on the CD is not that great, but at least you get something. Called him a wicked servant. What did he do wrong? He, ta- he got that talent, and he told the master, he said, I know that you reap or you sow not. He says, this wasn't really yours. Yeah, that's right. I didn't want to lose it, so I buried it in the backyard. <laughs> and since I didn't have a dog to dig it back up, that worked out pretty good. <laughs> but that wasn't his talent, was it? Mm-mm. The others were given talents, and they invested those talents. This guy was given the talent, he didn't invest it. The parable of the talents teaches us that the Lord wants us to invest his assets that he has entrusted with us for his kingdom. There is a spiritual application to that parable. We can be so afraid of getting dirty and messing up that we don't do anything for the Lord. That inaction does not please God. We can be so worried... We go out, I'm not advocating a van ministry, but let's just use that as an example. We can be so worried that if we start a van ministry, we go out to these communities and pick up these kids and bring them back for a Wednesday night ministry, that these kids will come in and they'll misbehave and they'll say some things and they'll do some things and and somehow that's going to reflect badly on us, so we decide not to do it. Well, that, that doesn't carry favor with God. We can be so afraid of what it would look like if somebody picked up a guitar during church service that we don't allow someone to worship with their talents. We can be so concerned about what will happen if somebody opens up a non-King James translation of the Bible that we check everybody's Bible at the door. I'm glad that we have somebody that opens up a non-King James version of the Bible. We've gotten over that fear, see? But I have been in churches, I'm having a hard time finding examples, but I've been in churches that are so afraid of being accused of compromising. They're so afraid of having something happen where somebody is able to point to them and say that church is impure, that they don't do anything. And you know what the common trait of all those churches are? They're dying. Mm -hmm. They're dying. They're afraid that if we go out and we spend money on a vacation Bible school, that we won't see new church members. Then, Then we just lost our money. No, you didn't. All right? They're afraid of losing it. The spiritual application is that God wants us to be out there ministering his word. There's also a lifestyle application. What God has given us, he intends on us being good stewards. He intends us managing it wisely. Now this, in terms of church administration, this does involve church finances. He does want us to manage church finances wisely as a congregation. Mm -hmm. He also wants us to manage our personal finances and our personal things wisely. Because everything that you own is his anyway. And so we must manage it wisely. It means using it. It means investing it for his glory. It means giving it to his work. But it also means making sound decisions. I've known a lot of people that have made bad financial decisions and called it faith. I'm not going to put back for retirement. I'm just going to trust the Lord. I'm not going to participate in Social Security. I'm just going to trust the Lord. I'd have said this before I became an agent. I'm not going to buy life insurance. I'm just going to trust the Lord to take care of my wife when I'm gone. 
That's not wise. We've got to make wise decisions. God gave us what he gave us to meet our needs, to support our families, and to advance our kingdom, his kingdoms, not our kingdoms. That's bad. To advance the Lord's kingdom. But I'm not here to talk to you about finances. I'm here to talk to you about being a disciple. And being a disciple means that it all belongs to him. And so we manage it accordingly. In addition to surrendering your entire net worth to him, you may also be called to leave some behind. Peter was called to leave behind a family business, as were the others. They all left behind their lives. They all left behind what they knew. And you know what? God may call you to leave something behind to serve him. He may call you to the mission field. He may call you to go somewhere and preach. He may call you to pastor. He may call you to go to school, to go to seminary, to obtain a Bible education. And that means that you may have to leave some things behind that you were quite comfortable with. I've known a lot of men that they left behind their hometowns, their moms and their dads, their careers to become pastors, to become preachers, to become teachers, to become ministers, and you know what, and missionaries. And sometimes God allowed them opportunities to use their talents and their skill set while they were doing that, whether it's doing that in secular work or whether it's like Brother Reed who left behind a career being a building designer to be a missionary, but then was able later on in life to use his design skills to design church buildings for our sister churches without them having to pay the expense of hiring an architect. Mm -hmm. But he had to leave that career field behind. And it's always interesting to me when I talk to some of the pastors that I know that they had a career before they were a pastor and we're having a conversation, all of a sudden they get the opportunity to share their skill set with me mm-hmm. and to watch them do that. They, they get such joy out of that. But they had to leave that behind. Yeah. Sometimes God calls us to leave that behind, to leave behind careers, to leave behind extended families. Sometimes God calls, you've got to go to where he calls you. you got to, you know, and we're not leaving people behind without care, but we do have to step outside the family fold, okay? My family is in East Texas. Jessica's family's up in Colorado, Our family is all that way, that way and that way, minimum five-hour drive away. We have to leave family sometimes to serve where God wants us to serve. That's what it means to be a disciple. But when we're talking about being a disciple, we're not talking about God just sitting here wanting you to give this up just because, wanting you to sacrifice this, just because, wanting you to invest this for him, just because, wanting you to do this, just because there is a really big why. And the really big why is wrapped up in who you serve. The disciples, they knew Jesus was the Christ. They knew he was the Messiah. They knew he was the Savior. With that knowledge, do you think they would rather have stayed home and ran their businesses? Or do you think they would have rather followed him and been part of his kingdom? If you're James, the son of Zebedee, John's brother, and you're out there in that fishing boat with your dad, Zeb, and you're fixing that net, and the Messiah walks up and says, follow me, what would you tell him? Sorry, Lord, i got to fix this net. we got to catch some fish today. Or would you have left that net and your dad in the boat the way James and John did and follow Jesus? There's a big why there. It's because of who they were serving. 
we forget that. We do. And they would forget that from time to time. He had to remind them. We need to remember our why. We serve the risen Savior. Not a great leader who died years ago. Rather, we serve the living Savior. We serve Jesus. We serve the only begotten Son of God. We serve God himself. You know, the Bible tells us about Jesus. That in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. You know what that tells us? That tells us that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is the creator of all things. He made all things. The Bible tells us in the, in the Psalms that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, for he hath founded it upon the seas. He made it. He created it. He owns it. It's his because he created it. He has full omniscient knowledge of it. He owns all things. He's the divine lawgiver. And when I say divine lawgiver, I'm not just talking about moral law. I'm talking about laws of physics. Aren't you thankful for gravity today? Now, you you may not be as thankful for gravity some days as you are others. But we're on a ball flying through space, spinning around at thousands of miles per hour. Without gravity, you and I are all taking flight, okay? I'm thankful for gravity. Laws of physics, the, all the things that work together in nature to make it work, the Lord is the one who gave those laws. The Lord is the divine lawgiver in terms of the moral law, the divine law, the spiritual law. The Lord who came down from heaven, lived under his law, Fulfilled it and then gave himself as a sacrifice who rose again the third day to conquer the grave. And who lives, whoever lives, makes intercession for us, pleads our case for us and works on our behalf. When you are sacrificing for Christ, you are doing what is necessary to bring others to the saving knowledge and faith in him. There is no higher purpose. We have a lot of good organizations in town. One organization, they collect money so they can buy a dictionary for every third grader in Brown County. I think that's a good cause. There's another organization, they collect money. Their members collect money. Their members write checks out of their own pockets Mm -hmm. to buy eyeglasses for children who cannot afford eyeglasses in Brown County. We have another local organization that they collect money. They give these members, they, they pull money out of their own pockets or they host I'm going to give myself away here. Pancake suppers, and they sell holiday hams to raise money to help children in need. You have, a, you have another civic organization that they raise money, and they give of their own money to provide health care for people who cannot afford health care. And you go to these civic club meetings, and you, and you sit in on them, and they have this purpose. This is what they're doing. This is what their passion is. And they, and they, and they dedicate themselves to this. And I, and I support that. I'm good with that. That's what I'm saying. I am. And these are good purposes. The purpose we have is in spreading the gospel to a lost and dying world so that others can come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, be rescued from the eternal punishment, from eternal damnation. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? I mean, 
We believe that children need glasses. We believe that children need dictionaries. We believe that people need health care because you see it. But, the, but hell is just as real as physical ailments, visual impairment, and illiteracy. I'm not running down those other causes. I'm telling y'all we have a higher one. We need to be driven by that cause. Are we getting our resources, not necessarily our money, though money is a resource, but time is a resource, facilities are resources, knowledge and wisdom are resources. Are we putting that into reaching people with the gospel? That's a higher purpose. Do not apologize for it. Do not regret it. You are changing the world. Jesus answered and said in verses 29 through 30, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands. He's speaking in hyperbole here. Jesus doesn't want you to leave your wife, okay? <laughs> For my sake in the Gospels, but he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and the world to come eternal life. There is a reward for your sacrifice. Yeah. There are material rewards. Now, if I were a little less of a man, I would say, if you put money in the offering plate, God will bless you a hundredfold. Send me that $20 seed offering. In fact, there is a preacher up in Dallas. He, uh, he, he told you, just go all out, go all in, give a thousand. Amen. <laughs> no, not amen. That's not even funny when I think about it. But that's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is that if you sacrifice for his kingdom, you're going to have what you need. That's right. You sacrifice for your kingdom, you might as well inherit a hundred houses for everyone you left behind because he's going to have a place for you to stay. Amen. If you left behind your family, you're going to have a family. Yes. I mentioned Jessica's family being in Colorado, my family being in East Texas, but we got family right here. It's you guys. Yes. All right. There are material rewards. And these rewards may not show up on the balance sheet, but you have them when you need them. That's right. You gain a family. Yeah. Let me tell you something. This past week, Jessica and I had two cars go down, and we're at the end of the month, so you know what that means financially. Yeah. And let me tell you what happened. We had something come in just in time to fix one of the cars. We had a brother, Jimmy, that had a car that he loaned us for a couple of days, and he prayed that I wouldn't wreck it, and God answered that prayer. And there's a knock at the door. Actually, a few knocks at the door. Clothes show up for the kids. They got something to wear. And food. Folks I didn't even know was in town show up with a freezer full of food, of groceries, saying, hey, we're moving out of town. Because I thought they'd already moved out, but they'd come back in for a little while. But they, kept, they come up to us and like, we got a freezer full of groceries. Can you use this? We got what we need. Amen. Yeah, okay, so my stock portfolio isn't doing well, mainly because I don't have one. But God has supplied my need. Yes. That's, yes. that's the promise that Jesus makes. Amen. And above the things that are in this earth, you have eternal life in heaven. Yes. That's your reward. Hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. When we sacrifice for the Lord, Amen. it is not in vain. No. When 
we're going to have a Bible school someday. Yes. When you give that offering to buy the Bible school books and you show up that week and you give your week to teach a kid's Bible school class, that was not in vain. No. Brother Leland, nobody, nobody accepted Jesus as their Savior this week. That still was not in vain. Because the Lord is the master of keeping the right people in front of his children when they need to be there. Mm -hmm. And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians, Paul sowed, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Amen. So Paul sowed, but he didn't necessarily get to harvest. Mm -hmm. Apollos watered, but he didn't necessarily get to harvest. Mm -hmm. Jesus told his disciples, you're harvesting where you sowed not. Yeah. But the harvest is what it's all about. So that those who sow and those who harvest rejoice together. Amen. In terms of sacrifice, Jesus set the standard. And that is why we have the amazing opportunity to be his disciples. In verses 33 through 34, Jesus said, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priest and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. And they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. Jesus was betrayed. By the way, it hit me as I was studying this last night. That this is the second time that God physically attempted to dwell with man in a tangible form that man betrayed him. Yeah. In the garden, God would walk with man in the cool of the day. Man betrayed him. In Jesus' day, Jesus is God in flesh, mm -hmm. living with man. Judas betrayed him. Mm -hmm. In fact, if you want to talk about the tabernacle being the dwelling place of God, in the book of Ezekiel, God said that they ran him out of the tabernacle. Every time God has tried to dwell with men, man has betrayed him. Yeah. And we're all involved in that. Mm -hmm. You look at what happens to Jesus in the Gospels. Judas, his own disciple, betrayed him. The Jews, his own people, condemned him to death and turned him over to the Romans. And what did the Romans do? They crucified him. The Gentiles, that's us, <coughs> crucified him. And Jesus died on that cross. But it was our sin that put him on that cross. Because going to that cross was the only way to save us from our sin. And he loved us so much that even after all of our sin and rebellion and rejection and betrayal, he still loves us and wants to redeem us. Yes. In 1 John 2, 2, the Bible says he's the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. It was our sin that sent Jesus to the cross, and we all have sin. Jesus is telling his disciples that he's about to give himself for the redemption of the world. And all James and John can think is, do we get to be number two and number three? The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians what the gospel is. How Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. All of this was done for our sin. Because of our sin. Mm -hmm. Romans 5.9 tells us much more then. Being now justified by his blood. 
we should be saved from wrath through him. The, the, the death of Jesus purchased our forgiveness of sins from God. And Romans 5.10 says, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. His resurrection is what gives us eternal life. 1 Corinthians 15. So then death is swallowed up in victory. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, when you are a disciple of Jesus, you're following him, you're learning of him, you're being active in his ministry, you're giving to his ministry, you are doing what you can to advance his cause. And you're making sacrifices, and it gets hard. You start to run on empty. You, you, the, the bank account goes down. The, 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 the stuff, the cars start to break down. The, uh, the people quit listening to you. They don't want to hear about this Jesus stuff. They want to hear about how to get the promotion at work. They want to hear you condemn other people. They want to see you get fire and brimstone and tell them how other people are going to hell and how they deserve it. And so they quit listening to you and they go away. That's discipleship. That's discipleship. And you can get bitter if you let all that get to you. You can say, Jesus, I'm here doing this for you. I'm sacrificing this for you. I'm dedicating this for you. I'm serving you. I'm giving you everything I've got. Where is the payoff? Anytime you get the feeling like God is holding out on you, that your sacrifice doesn't seem to be paying off, or that it doesn't seem to be making a difference, whenever you wonder why you should continue, think of Christ. Hebrews 12, 2, I quoted it earlier. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set at the right hand of the throne of God. Mm-hmm. What that verse says, that Jesus Christ, he's the author of our faith, it was his idea, he's the finisher of our faith, he's the one that made it happen. Seated in heaven, How's he doing up there? How's Jesus doing in heaven? Mm-hmm. The Bible says in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. All things were created by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Colossians says that all things were made for his pleasure. All things were made by him and for him. The Bible tells us that the angels praise God at the creation of the world. And so Jesus is up there. He's living it up. He has created this magnificent creation. And man rebels. And Jesus can just erase that problem. He can just say, okay, we'll just destroy man like we destroyed the rebellious angels. And I can go, by, go on basking in my glory. But he didn't do that, did he? Mm-mm. No, he left the glories of heaven. Yeah. He came down to earth. He lived under his own law. He lived under his own creation. He lived among us. And for the joy that was set before him, that's our redemption, endured the cross, went and took on the pain and suffering of the cross, despising the shame. He died, but then he overcame. He rose again, and he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. That's what Jesus did for us. God's holding out on us. Oh, he's already gone above and beyond. Yes. We got to have better memories. Mm-hmm. Love him. Trust him. Yes. 
And seeing the example the Lord left, we should emulate that in our service. We should be totally committed and sacrificial. In verse 39, Jesus says, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism I am baptized. With all shall ye be baptized. James and John came to Jesus asking to be his top advisors. Jesus asked if they could endure the level of sacrifice he was about to make. There's something to that. If you're not willing to suffer with Jesus, don't demand to reign with him. As we emulate Christ in our service, we should be willing to go all the way the way Jesus went all the way. And we should be humble about it. In verses 42 through 45, Jesus says in the Gentile world, in, in, the, in the lost world, people overtake each other, they overcome each other, they, they oversee each other, they rule over each other, they lord over each other. They want to be large and in charge. Jesus said, it's not going to be that way among you. Mm-mm. He said, the great ones among you are going to be the ones who serve. Yeah. What would you do if God came to you and he said, You have 24 hours to live. At 12, 17 p.m. tomorrow, you will be called into heaven. Your time on this earth will be done. If God were to tell you that, how would you spend the next 24 hours? Jesus knew. How did he spend his last 24 hours? He washed feet. Yes. He ministered, mm-hmm. and he served. That's right. That's our example to follow. Amen. Scripture tells us in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Mm-hmm. God has called us to an awesome cause. Mm-hmm. That awesome cause is not wrapped up in our pursuit of personal holiness. That cause is wrapped up in leading others to salvation. And this is done so many ways. This is done through our personal evangelism efforts. This is done through the ministries of our church. This is done through sending out missionaries and supporting missionaries. This is done in going on Facebook and sharing something about the Lord on Facebook. This is that it's not limited to that, but that's a that's a component of it. If you're on Facebook, I'm not saying you have to be on Facebook to do the Great Commission. But it's all part of it. That's our mission. That's our cause. That's why we do what we do. And it involves sacrifice. It involves leaving things behind. There is pain in the offering, I know. Trust me, I know. Mm-hmm. But we must never forget why. And that's because of our Lord. And we must never forget that if we keep going, the Lord will bless with the harvest.